to get a ticket uh, Friday morning. Uh, we have Wednesday night Bible study, uh, and it's going to be cold. Um, Tuesday night still TBD. I think Lawrence just will figure it out. I guess. Come on Wednesday. Wednesday's fine. Same needs in the clothes closet. Oh yeah, well yeah. If anyone has a surplus of, especially men's pants between 28 and 34, we can use them, even if it's just one pair. Um, we fly through them, and I think this last Friday we gave out uh, 40 pair, and we we've gotten a lot in, we've got a lot coming, but it's it's always a lot, especially in the winter time that never stops. Uh, I think we're okay. It's it's gonna be so bitterly cold. We especially want to remember um, the folks that we serve and, and have community with on the street. Um, it's gonna be really difficult for them. So um, Monday, no, not Monday. Maybe Monday, but Tuesday night. I plan on going out pretty late to give out blankets and stuff. So if anyone wants to do that, um, it's different. Uh, being out in the quarter around 11 to midnight can get a little strange but we move fast and we're kind of like Santa Claus with blankets so um, if anybody wants to join me or give blankets or whichever uh, just get a hold of me after service uh, there's nothing else let's go ahead and pray. Um, Father we love you and um, just thank you for another Sunday thank you that uh, the sun's out this morning and it's uh, it's warming up outside and uh, Lord, we love our community here we love our city Lord, the, just the various needs that we'd like it across our, our community, especially I think of Mama Rose. Um, just continue to be with her and her health. Um, and just continue to be with uh, the folks that are here and not here, Lord. Um, thank you that we get to meet together as, a, as a, a part of the body of Christ, part of your church. And um, Lord, we love you. And as always, we pray as you taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. slide moves? I hand in the slides, so maybe they're right today. <laughs> I'll be reading from Psalm 139 to 136. <coughs> oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from far away. You search out my path and my wrong. And you are excellent in all my ways. Oh Lord, Search me and know me. Even before a word is on my tongue, O oh Lord, you know it completely. 
search me and found me.
heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Please pray with us. Knowing and seeking God, he's chosen us to walk with you, to belong to you, to be transformed by you. Not because you don't know the darkest parts of us, but because you know us better than we know ourselves and still love us. For what you have made wonderfully, we have treated disgracefully, using and abusing ourselves and one another, blind to the beauty for which we were created, unable to recognize your voice or the touch of your hand on our lives. Forgive us, O Lord, or call to us again. Brothers and sisters, believe and have hope. We have found him, we have found about whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote. Jesus, son of Joseph from Nazareth. Through him you are forgiven, you are welcome, you are loved. Let us rejoice together and give praise to the Lord, the Son of God, the King of Israel. Insist is God, by night and day, you summon your slumbering people. So stir us with your voice and enlighten our lives with your grace, so that we give ourselves fully to Christ's call to mission and ministry. Amen. For God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. If you would please stand and join with me in praise of the God who has power of the great.
this morning. Thank you for your mercy and grace allowing us to gather together and worship love each other Lord as we know you and love you with everything that we have. Father thank you for all that you've given us. Everything that we have comes from you Father as we give back into this work of the church in this community Father multiply it for your kingdom good others would respond in faith to your call. We ask in Jesus' name.
dew draws closer to you. We ask all of these things in your name. I'm also praying that that beeping noise stops. <laughs> it's part of my prayer this morning. Good morning, everyone. Um, please go with me, if you will, to 1 Corinthians. Look at 1 Corinthians, and we're going to be in chapter 14 this morning. If you want to use one of our Bibles, you can just raise your hand, and someone will bring one to you. Thanks, Marlena. Um, and actually, if you will read that, you are welcome to keep that. We... We're continuing a series this morning. I'm simply calling Gifted, talking about um, spiritual gifts within the body of the church. Uh, gifts are one of the major ways people love each other, just in general, in life. I told this story, uh, but they were gone, so I went and tell it again. Um, Adam Ship was largely the inspiration for this series. <laughs> Uh, Meg and Elmo were sick, and I, I did the only thing that I really know to do to minister to people who are sick in our congregation, which is to pray for them and then to bring them food. <laughs> um, but in this way, Adam has of just saying so much so simply, as I was leaving, I told him, I love them, and he held up the bowl of soup and he said, this is love. Which was both an overestimation of the quality of the soup and a profound statement, which in my mind connected to everything that we had been talking about in the residency program on Friday all through the year and in First Peter. My hope in this series, largely what I'm wanting you to take away is an understanding of what it looks like to love each other practically in Christianity, because honestly, most days I think we've forgotten. In the Bible, teachings on spiritual gifts and teachings on loving one another as members of the body of Christ, they're, they're paired over and over again. They're put right next to each other in the word, meaning giving each other spiritual gifts is one of the major ways that we are meant to love each other. Uh, the passage we're about to read this morning is the latter part of a, an extended chapter, really about three chapters. Um, chapters 12 and 14 dive deeply into the practicality of using spiritual gifts within a community of believers. And then in between the two, chapter 13 is probably the best known and most read chapter on what it means, what it looks like to love one another. We started this series talking about how the Spirit of God filled the craftsmen working on the tabernacle in the days of Moses with gifts and abilities to do the work. I started there because I wanted you to see, throughout the history of the people of God, the Spirit has been empowering us toward really a single end, God coming to dwell richly with us. So often when we talk about spiritual gifts, we're so focused on what we as individuals are able to do in the power of the Spirit. We talk so much about that that we forget what God is trying to do, what the Spirit is trying to do in us. In our churches, in our cities, in our individual families and lives, God wants to dwell with us richly, filling us with life. Just as in creation, the Spirit of God filled the earth with abounding life. Last week, we got really practical talking about the giftedness, giftedness in the context of the local church. I was arguing we need to break down the barriers in our minds between material gifts and spiritual gifts. Paul spends several chapters before this extended uh, section, starting in chapter 12, talking about financial gifts within a local congregation. He's rebuking the church in Corinth 
for not caring for him, not giving him any gift, even though he stayed with them for a year and a half, planting a church there. And even though Corinth was an incredibly wealthy city, they did nothing to provide for him during that time. He says, what I was giving you was incredibly valuable compared to what I was asking, what I was needing from you. He says, I gave you the gospel and life itself in wisdom. And he sums all of that up by saying, I was giving you spiritual gifts. I was arguing too last week that spiritual gifts really have more to do with your role in a local, in service of your local con- congregation than they have anything to do with, for example, your personality. Personalities, unfortunately for me, don't really change. But the gifts you're able to give to your congregation are going to change pretty consistently throughout your life. I was talking about all of what I have been called and, and been able to give to my fellow church goers in my lifetime, my gifts to the congregation I've served with have changed together with my changing financial situation, have changed with my time commitments, my spiritual maturity. Years ago when I was in seminary, I was mainly giving gifts of service to the people around me, service and hospitality, working set up and tear down for church plants, making coffee, doing greeting and assimilation work. At, at times I was able to give financially more, at times I was had to get less. Now I mainly, today I mainly preach and teach in this congregation. Uh, the spirit hasn't changed, but I have changed, and the needs of my church have changed. This week we're going to get even more practical, talking about what would normally be called charismatic gifts in the life of the body. So read with me 1 Corinthians 14, and we're going to start just with that last verse of chapter 13. If you will, it's a longer section, if you will uh, stand with me to read the Word of God together this morning. Paul writes, So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. Pursue love, and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their building and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds himself up, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now, I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets, so that the church may be built up. Now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you? unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching. If even lifeless instruments, such as a flute or a harp, don't give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is played? And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? So with yourselves, if with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you'll be speaking to the air. There are doubtless many different languages in the world, and none is without meaning. But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker a foreigner to me. So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray for the power to interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? I'll pray with my spirit, but I pray with my mind also. I'll sing praise with my spirit, but I'll sing with my mind also. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you're saying? For you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. 
I thank God that I speak in tongues more than any of you. Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Brothers, don't be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. In the law it is written, by people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners will I speak to this people. And even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Thus tongues are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers, while prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers, but for believers. If, therefore, the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues, and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are out of your minds? But if all prophecy and an unbeliever, or if all prophesy and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he's convicted by all, he's called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed, and so, falling on his face, he'll worship God and declare that God is really among you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Pray with me briefly. Father God, I pray as I always do, Lord, just that no matter what comes out of my mouth this morning, Lord, that what you administer to people's hearts and minds is your truth and your word today. God, because we know your truth will set us free, and we desperately long to be free. We pray this in Jesus' name, so we know you hear us. Amen. Whenever a means becomes an end in itself, whenever your values become disordered, your life and faith become disordered too. Or to quote Keller, idolatry means turning a good thing into an ultimate thing. This passage we've just read is, is probably enough controversy for one day and one sermon, and we're going to talk about charismatic gifts all through this sermon, so just going to stick with the controversial topic. But I'm going to make the very questionable decision to say just one more controversial thing that's otherwise totally unrelated to get us started. I'm just going to say it. I love Settlers of Catan. Robin, I love it. I like it. <laughs> uh, yeah, so it's a really nerdy board game. Um, it's, it's one of those board games that almost takes more time to explain the rules than it does to actually yeah. play the game with someone, you know? Uh, like New Orleans itself, people tend either to love it or to hate it. <laughs> I love it. Uh, I've been teaching my son how to play. He's eight years old. The other day I was, I was going kind of easy on him, giving good advice, you know, kind of playing against myself. Um, and he started to smack talk me. Which, as, you know, a fully grown, mature adult, obviously my reaction was just to, like, crush him in the game. <laughs> you know, like, Ender's Game style. Not just win that game, but, like, demoralize him and win all the others to come, right? Um, weirdly, he has not wanted to play with me recently. Um, it's easy for me sometimes to focus so fully on winning that I forget the point of playing with him is to spend that time with him. To show him with my time that I love him and I'm, I'm glad I'm his dad. The game is a means to an end. It is not an end in itself. Do you ever forget that? What you value in life is incredibly important. In subtle ways, what your values begin to affect all of the rest of what you do in life. Any, another thing I love besides nerdy board games is this church. I love this church maybe even more than I love Settlers of Catan. And as I continue to grow in my faith, I've fallen more and more in love with the church universal. 
I love gathering together to worship God on Sundays. I, I learned this genuinely about myself. If I ever had cause to doubt, um, I learned this about myself in those very difficult months last year when my wife and I were in the hospital for months and over and over again, I was out at work. No one was expecting me here, but I wanted to be here. Not to preach, not to worship, not to even do anything. I loved the church and I love gathering together. I know many of you feel the same, which is why it's so important for us to remember much of what we're doing in these worship services, much of what we're doing in these gatherings, the songs, the readings, the sermons, they're a means to an end. They are not the ends in themselves. I'm going to set communion aside for the purpose of this conversation that may be a little more of an end in itself. But according to this passage from chapter 12 all the way through chapter 14, the purpose, the end of the vast majority of what we do in gathering together to worship the Lord is to love one another well. To worship and enjoy God. And especially in what we just read, over and over again, Paul says, we are here to build each other up. If you lose sight of building each other up in worship gatherings, you've mistaken the means for the end. Making good things ultimate things, and whenever your values become disordered, your life and your faith become disordered too. What you value in life orders your life, and what you value in church orders your church. So let's talk about prophecy and speaking in tongues. Because both of these are gifts that According to the passage we led, we, the chapter in this extended passage we read last week, chapter 12, Paul says to eagerly desire both gifts. I'll admit to you, I do not speak in tongues. Not in the sense most people mean. That gift has never been given to me. And I have had people leave churches I've pastored and question both my authority as a teacher and my salvation because I had not spoken in tongues. We talked about controversy. That's the kind of thing I mean. I don't speak in tongues, but I greatly respect and am deeply grateful for many people who do. I think in church life that makes me a bit of an oddity. We should probably define some terms. The word tongues here is the same word used for languages. Uh, like some people still call a foreign language a foreign tongue, right? Uh, in our culture today, people broadly consider tongues, though, to be a heavenly language that you're able to learn or that can be given to you in order to connect with God in your spirit. Uh, you may have also heard the word glossolalia. That's the same thing. That's an anglicization of the word that's used here in the passage. Um, I do believe in that expression of worship, but I also believe that expression has a place in the service um, uh, which is clearly expressed in this passage that we just read and often ignored to the detriment of the church. I want you to notice in chapter 13, Paul suggests two types of tongues. He talks in verse 1 of chapter 13 about the tongues of men and angels. We see both forms of the gifts of tongues biblically, uh, both amazing, and I praise God for them. One, we see at Pentecost, we see apostles speaking in a single language, that multiple people from multiple nations who speak multiple languages are all able to understand all at once. I would call that a spiritual language or speaking in heavenly or angelic tongues. What an incredible gift. I've met modern missionaries too who have had similar experiences. One was a journeyman in India 
and she came upon a, a people group that no one had, had no real exposure to the outside world and no one spoke their language uh, and they were communicating with just basic gestures and things like that to try to have some sort of conversation and then this friend of mine felt a calling to share the gospel and she did and not only all of a sudden did that entire village that was gathered understand the words that she was speaking but also her companions who were with her understood her until she was finished speaking and people believed in God that day. That is a powerful gift. One that we ought to be eager to desire. Two, as Paul writes about the tongues of men, we can relate this gifting as well to people like Paul and many others I've known who are able to travel from place to place and are gifted in learning local language and custom to be able to communicate clearly the truth of the gospel and doctrine and to establish churches cross-culturally. So I do see this as a gift that you can work to develop in the power of the Spirit. I have many friends actually involved in work just like this, working to translate uh, Bibles, working to translate discipleship materials into many languages, and one friend who's working to found seminaries in various countries. But going back to angelic tongues, this heavenly language that we see in Scripture and that many people have experienced in today's world, I said earlier, people have questioned my salvation my ability to teach them anything spiritual because I don't speak in angelic tongues. There is a belief in some expressions of the church that everyone who has the Spirit of God will exhibit the indwelling of the Spirit by speaking in tongues. So since I haven't spoken in tongues, some friends of mine and congregants have rejected claims of my even knowing the Lord and refused to acknowledge that I was saved. I remember those conversations with a lot of grief. Every time the local body of Christ splits, the church universal is wounded. The enemy is very talented at segregating individual spiritual gifts into different churches and denominations so that most bodies are walking around missing limbs. I will say the part of this passage we read last week teaches directly against the idea that everyone in the church, everyone who's saved is going to speak in tongues. We're going to get a little academic for just a little while, okay? Just like two minutes, and then we'll recover. Um, in English, it's harder to notice, but chapter 12, verse 30, it's a series of rhetorical questions. Uh, in English, the answer to rhetorical questions are assumed, uh, but in the original language of the Bible, uh, it doesn't translate, but there is an actual answer written into the text. So when he says, do all speak in tongues, What's actually written is not all speak in tongues, even though it's phrased as a question. He's saying, no, no, many Christians don't speak in tongues. And look at the one right before it, the same linguistic construction, do all possess gifts of healing? He answers that question too in the text. He says, no, no, many Christians don't. And also in that passage, he says, even though the gifts of God are varied, we should eagerly desire things like tongues and healing. Yet we should also give honor to every person giving gifts of any kind to the congregation because we need each other. Chapter 14 mainly speaks to the purpose and use of tongues and prophecy. And this is where I want everyone to kind of lean in. This is where we've mistaken the means for an end. Paul writes very clearly in chapter 14, verse 5, the purpose of what we do when we gather in worship together is to build each other up. And he says in chapter 14, speaking in tongues doesn't do that. Unless there's an interpreter, he says, uh, 
uh, not unless people have some way of understanding you. you. You know where I've seen this done beautifully, where people are speaking in multiple tongues and yet um, it's being interpreted. I, I think of large multicultural church gatherings. I, I think of the convention back in June that many of us attended where we were worshiping together in multiple languages, English, Spanish. My old co-pastor, Augustine, led a, a verse of a song in Cantonese. But they started the song in English. Why? So that everyone would understand what was being sung. So they could celebrate the diversity of tongues without confusing most of the people there, so that they would be able to engage in the song and be built up by the worship together. Paul goes further. He says, if you're speaking in, to quote chapter 13 again, the tongues of men and angels, and no one is able to understand or translate what you're saying, he says, verse 23, whenever outsiders walk into a service like that and everyone's shouting unintelligibly, he uses another rhetorical question again. He says, people are going to think you are insane which is my experience, honestly, of attending services like that. And I say that as someone, one, who deeply loves the church universal, and two, someone who largely understands and has studied the theology building up those expressions of faith. What would the uninitiated person then think of Christianity if they were to walk into an experience like that? He says tongues are meant for the nations, for outside of the church, for missionary efforts. He says in verse 18, I speak tongues more than any of you. And he says, I praise God for that. But he doesn't bring tongues into the worship service, he says, because it wouldn't build anyone up. And in a worship service, that's the end. We can't mistake the means for the ends. The songs, the prayers, all the languages spoken, that's a means to an end. The end, Paul says several times, is to build one another up in love. Neglect the ends, he says. And speaking in the tongues of men and angels is like ringing a gong, or in our passage, it's like a symphony that's not reading the same piece of music. It may be fun for the person doing it, he says, but it's a lot of noise for everyone else. Practically speaking, then, if someone were to shout out in the church in any language, either in the middle of someone else speaking or in a language no one here understands, and there's no one to translate it into English so people can hear and understand with their minds, I would ask, tactfully as possible, <laughs> ask that that person would wait either for an appropriate time to speak, and when they do speak, to speak in a language that everyone would understand, because the point of speaking in a church service is so that people might, be under that, that, so that people might understand and be edified or convicted. Corinth and New Orleans have at least a couple of things in common. Uh, it's, uh, to quote a pastor from my childhood, it's messy church. <laughs> uh, as a pastor, I've, I've had several people at several times uh, stop the worship service shouting in the middle, or I've, uh, you know, uh, people wander in drunk from the street. It's always a little bit awkward when you have to stop for that. Uh, there was one time I confiscated a shofar, which is a large horn involved in some worship services here in the quarter. Oftentimes, uh, this happens when I was helping plant a different church on Magazine Street. Again, people would wander in, maybe a little feisty, try to shut down and shout over the preaching. Uh, I remember, too, my first ever time preaching here in the French Quarter. Um, there was uh, what became a good friend of mine, Jonathan, stood up and responded 
uh, to a call at the end of the service to come and pray with me. And before he actually got to me, I was standing, I was standing right over here, and he was walking down the aisle. Before he got to me, someone like sitting where Callie is sitting now stood up and started anointing him with oil and praying loudly in tongues over him. That was my first experience here at this church. Um, that was interesting. <laughs> um, I have nothing against annoying. I have nothing against tongues. But let the man come and pray, man. <laughs> when it comes down to it, if we put the controversy of tongues aside, and we still got to talk a little bit about prophecy, but if we put all of the academic stuff to the side for a minute, y'all, what we're really talking about is pride. We're really talking about pride and how pride has no place in the church. Kill your pride to build up the church. Just a few chapters earlier in 1 Corinthians, Paul asked people not to come to the church with braided hair or fancy clothes on. Why? Because pride has nothing to do with building up the church. Uh, if you look in context there, people were coming to church in clothes that literally cost as much as multiple houses and sitting next to people who did not have a house. People were coming to church with hair braided literally with gold strands. Kill the pride to build up the church. Same problem, different outworking. What's really going to come from your shouting in tongues in a service is that people will notice you and that the initiated, the people who understand what's going on, will probably think that you were spiritual. But you looking spiritual is not the point of what we're doing here. The point is to come together, to practice the sacraments, to speak words of teaching, even prophetic words, to draw people into gathering and worshiping God, not into being impressed with us and how spiritual our church is. Prophecy, too. He's just talking about a word from the Lord. It doesn't have to be prophetic in the sense of knowing the future. It can be in this sense, uh, but he's talking about preaching, teaching. Notice he pairs that word prophecy with those words all throughout this passage. And he gives a very similar warning to those of us who preach. He says, kill the pride and build up the church. I try every time I preach to give you what God has given me. And I try to do it with as much clarity and excellence as I can. But in the end, this is not about me. And in the end, what I want God to minister to people's hearts and minds is the truth in his word that is able to set us free. God forbid that the result of my sermons or anyone else's would be to make us seem more spiritual. Jesus himself sat under some rabbi for 30 years until he began teaching and prophesying. Have you ever thought about that? Imagine being that pastor. Just because I am called in this moment to preach to you does not say anything about my holiness. What it says is that God is able to use broken people. The words spoken in this church are for you, to build you up. Prophetic words are like food. I was talking with Suzanne about this earlier today. Prophetic words are like food. We who preach may prepare them, and we, we may try our best to make what we're giving out something healthy and good to taste. But in the end, it's not for you to take pictures and be impressed and rate us on Yelp. 
the end is to take and eat, to taste and see that the Lord is good, that he's able to comprise, able to nourish you. Friends, whatever you do, whether you teach or prophesy or speak in tongues and work miracles or clean the church building or pay the bills, whatever gift you've been given in the spirit to pour out to this congregation, give glory to God, kill the pride, and do whatever you can to build up the body of Christ wherever you're called. As Adam comes to lead a time of response to the word of God spoken today, my hope is that we would be a church so focused on building each other up through the truth of the word, prayer, genuine love of each other, that we would forget ourselves most days. Not that we would think less of ourselves because we are precious to God and our worth comes from him, but that we would think of ourselves less to the glory of the one who has gifted us and valued us in the first place. Pray with me. Father God, we long desperately for your movement. Lord, in our church, in our city, in our world. God, that's all I want to see is your work being done. God, all I really want to do is just to take part in whatever it is that you're doing, Father. And to enjoy you and dwell with you. God, we are so far from the people we are meant to be. Lord, please make us holy. God, please make our church community a place where you are able to dwell in gladness, God, and not in judgment. God, every day, sanctify us. Lord, I do eagerly long for our church to be operating in the power of your spirit. God, and so we pray for each and every spiritual gift that you give to be a part of our local body, Lord, so that we can be whole. God, for those of us who are serving in places of less honor, may we lift them up. God, and for those of us serving in places of more honor, God, may we learn to come down until the valleys are raised up and the mountains are made low and your day has come. God, I pray all of this in Jesus' name so we know you hear us. Amen. Corinthians 11, um, the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took a loaf of bread, and when he had given thanks, blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from the earth. He broke it and said, this is my body that is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also. After supper, saying, This is this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink this in remembrance of me.
and peace to love and serve the Lord. Uh -oh. Uh -oh. Uh -oh.